Hello and welcome to the River and Panhandle's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you are tuning in for this week's message. Before we get started, there are a few things that we would love for you to do. Share it, subscribe, and rate the podcast. So the message is about to begin. We hope that you are encouraged and that you always remember, no role is insignificant. Every life matters and go out and make a difference. time to preach uh, for this series, and they, of course it was the 4th of July, so the easy pick was freedom, and preaching over freedom, we'll continue that today. And, uh, and part of that is coming out of Luke 4, if you have your Bibles with you, Luke 4, 18 is where we're coming from mostly in here. And it's Jesus setting out his mandate, it's Jesus saying, this is who I am, and this is who I'm going to be, and, and we'll jump right in, because there's some important things I think I want you to catch before I'm through today, but Jesus comes out of the wilderness, and he walks into the temple, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah, now Isaiah is full of prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, prophecy that has been fulfilled, prophecy that was going to be fulfilled, and prophecy yet to be fulfilled, and so The nice thing about it is Jesus picks up that scroll, and it happens to be Isaiah. He opens it, and he finds that prophecy about who he is and what he is. And so he says in Luke 4.18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the release of the captives. And last week we talked about the fact that that word captives actually means prisoners of war. When you translate that out, it actually means prisoners of war. And continuing, he says, recovery of the sight of the blind and to free those who are oppressed. To free those who are oppressed. And I think that's where we'll spend some time today is on that line that he came to free those who are oppressed because there's a lot of oppression in the world. And I went to study this and I found some different sources and I finally ended up on Wikipedia and the the Wikipedia entry was oppressive in itself because there's a million different ways you can be oppressed. I mean, if you look through that, people can oppress us, genders can oppress us, money can oppress us, hard times can oppress us, race, uh, governments, churches, all those things can come against to cause that oppression and oppression has an effect on us. In fact, we just were coming out of COVID, and the number one prescribed medication in the world right now is medication to handle depression. It doesn't matter if it's Panhandle, Texas, the United States, or the entire world. The number one prescription in the world right now being handed out is depression pills. So that means there's a lot of depression coming against us, causing that oppression, taking us and our minds into places that we've got to get out of, I think, to walk in that freedom that Christ promised. And so today, I hope to take some of these words and use them as a way for you to break through these oppressions. Because Jesus said it, then he's giving us the sword to take out some of these things. And so that's where I'd like to begin. And if you'll bow your heads, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the chance just to be here. We thank you for the freedom we have. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for the chance that I have to be up here, Lord. I just, I just, it's amazing to be able to talk about you. And I pray that whatever I speak uh, not only brings them into more freedom, Father, but honors your kingdom and those who've come before me. Bless us and walk with us as we go through this day. Amen. 
And so in this oppression, the nice thing about living in America, and it being the greatest country in the world, is that America was founded from a couple different standards of freedom. This wasn't just some country. It was something that was founded because people were seeking freedom, right? They came over from England or these other places, and they say, I want to be free, so I'm going to go over to America. The other side of that coin is most of that freedom came from the idea of I want to be religiously free. I don't want to subscribe to whatever you're preaching me, and so I'm going to this land to be free with my Jesus and my God. So there's a double amount of freedom, a double blessing, you might say, on America becoming the greatest country on the earth because it wasn't just founded by a bunch of people getting together. It was founded by a bunch of people getting together in the cause of freedom, and not just any type of freedom, but religious freedom. And that's the reason America will continue to grow and to be successful is because Christians continue to rise up. And if you're to hear anything, revival's coming. Revival is coming to this great nation. It's just going to happen. And the nice thing about you being here today is that you're going to be part of that. As they come through our doors seeking help, seeking refuge from oppression and from the captivity, they're going to run into you, you who knew how to get free, you who know how to get free. You have walked in those same places they have, and they'll have us to help usher into that revival. And I pray to Jesus, it's the biggest revival we've ever seen. It's the revival that caused Jesus himself back to this planet because he wants to be down here celebrating with us. And so be praying about that and keep that in your mind as you see the days go by. But this oppression, I think a lot, we live in similar times that Jesus lived in. If you were the average everyday person walking around in Israel at that time, you had to answer to the, the Sanhedrin, those folks that made up the church back then, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And to be honest with you, they controlled who was getting into heaven. Because if you didn't have a dove or you didn't have a lamb, you had to go to the temple square to buy one. If you didn't have the money to buy one, Sorry, you don't get to heaven to forgive your sins. I mean, it was, it was that kind of oppression they were living in. And not only that, but they had an answer to the Israeli government, those people that were in charge over that, the, the, the Herod. You remember them? They tried to knock Jesus off once by killing the innocents, and then Herod played a despicable role later on in Jesus' time. And so he had his own taxes to collect, and he wanted to keep up his lifestyle, so he had to increase those taxes. And then you had the Roman government coming down on you. And the Roman government had government, they had armies, they had roads they liked to build, so that was more taxes, and they all controlled when you could and couldn't do things. And so I think we're living in a similar time because there's rebellions coming up against those places, and then here's this thing with religion, and that's what scares me. It scares me about getting up here on this podium. It scares me about even mentioning the name of Jesus in a public situation is that all the way from Nazareth to Jerusalem, we've talked about this before, Jesus was healing people constantly. Everywhere he went, there were sick people, and he was healing them and embracing them. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees just kind of looked on, not realizing that their beliefs didn't really much matter. I mean, they were just over there existing, not helping make the world a better place. And here comes this Jesus laying hands on people and just healing him. And that was just amazing to me. And so being up here, I never want to be in a place where I dishonor the beliefs that my God is still moving and my God is still active and still doing great things here in this country for us. And so whatever I preach up here, I mean, I want to be sanctified in his word. And so as Christians, I also want my life my beliefs actually matter. If I'm going to believe in Jesus, I want to make sure that it has an effect on the world around me. And so part of that is, number one, last week we talked about knowing who you are, not letting them steal your identity. And this week is, now that you know who you are, 
What do you do with it? How do I get into that place where being who I am as a Christian matters? And it starts in here, obviously. We talked about the heart last week. And it starts in here and has to expand outwards. My beliefs, whatever I have with Jesus, has to begin in here and obviously move out there to make the world a different place. And sometimes that oppression stops it. And we have our eyes so many times focused on the physical. We can see sin. We know what it looks like. We kind of know what it feels like, but our eyes fixate on that instead of realizing that Jesus has called us a lot of times to walk by faith and walk not by sight, to walk by spirit and not by sight. And so there's things that we can't see. There's things that are going on that we have to pray into, that we have to encounter. And it's kind of like depression. And if you're suffering from depression, God bless you. If that's a place that you're having to deal with in your life, God bless you. Just know it's going to get better. It's going to be better because probably you've sought out a doctor's help. Now, the problem we have in America is we like to make doctors out to be saviors. They're just not. They're great people who have great remedies and do great things. And and so if you're seeking that place out, just know things are going to get better automatically because you're getting help. But on second and top of that is you're bringing Jesus along with you in that walk. So you choosing to get better, you choosing Jesus makes a way through the wilderness that is going to bring you out of depression and bring you into a better life. It's going to happen. Because that's what happens when you take one plus one, you get two. And Jesus moving alongside of you in that place is going to just make you so much more stronger. And if you're battling depression, I just want to pray over you that God lifts that off of you before you leave this building today. In walking by faith and not by sight, Paul furthers that says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I can talk about faith, but I can't see faith. I can't hold a cup of faith in my hand. I could probably see faith in action, but it's not something that's physical. It's kind of the same thing with hope. I mean, unless you're naming your child hope, I can't see hope. Hope is not something I can hold in my hands. It's something I have to believe in, something that I pick up that helps encourage me and hope encourages others around us. And so in these places of looking at those unseen things, we have to move into those places first where we walk by faith and not by sight, where we pick up the spirit of the Lord and what he's preaching. And the other thing about the Sadducees and the Pharisees is there was a vast difference somewhere that happened in the Bible. Because if you pick up the Psalms and you read through those, you have these amazing prayers and verses about what God did in David's life and what David believed and what those, because he had some black and white verses. So those verses he picked up, you had this like relationship with God in those verses, whereas the Sadducees and Pharisees of, De- of Jesus' time, they just had the black and white. And so something transitioned along the way in their beliefs that kind of took the spirit, took the, the hope, took the faith out of things, where they were just living by the black and white. And that's a dangerous place to be, I think, especially in the times we live in. Like I said, if you're battling depression, I can't see depression. I can see the effects of depression, but I've got to find a way to encounter that. I've got to find a way to break it off. Jesus talks in the first of that verse back in Luke 4 about he comes to preach the good news to the poor. And because when we enter sometimes into that depression and we enter into that other stuff, it causes a poverty come upon us. And then it really becomes an issue when poverty leads to a belief in lack. I don't have something, and so something must be missing in me. I don't have something, so i got to add something to it. Or we get into those places where I prayed for somebody, 
And the prayer didn't work, so that must not be how the Bible works. That must not be what that verse meant. Or that lack caused us to, to believe that maybe that wasn't meant for me. Maybe it's just for special people. And then we're all of a sudden making up theology that doesn't quite fall in line with the Word of God. And so we've got to be careful that when we enter these places that could bring us into oppression, that we don't enter into those other areas. We stay away from them. Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you're sick, call upon the elders. Let them lay hands on you. You might be healed. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus moved among the people, laying hands on people and healing them. He said, greater works you shall do. I don't believe that was for a special time or for just a special place in history. I think he gave us those verses because it's things we're supposed to pick up and walk with as we walk through this world. And it's amazing to see the benefits of those who actually pray in faith. And so I believe that's the oppression that Jesus is still trying to bring us out of today. He doesn't want you in that area of lack. He doesn't want you picking up those places of lack. Because in that place, all of a sudden, your theology that you've created or those beliefs that are created in you don't match up to his glory. And we go from glory to glory. And that's another one of those verses that gets stripped out because of those hard times. We get in the hard times, and the hard times keep coming, and the hard times keep coming, and we forget. Well, the Bible says, I go from glory to glory. And if I let those hard times strip that out of us, it sets me into a place where I'm not living in the full, beautiful glory of who God is in my life. And we've all been there. We've all been through hard times. We've all been through places where we prayed for somebody and the cancer didn't come off. We've all been in those places where we prayed for somebody and the COVID didn't come off. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things we have to work out and work out with God and trust in Him. And it sounds like a biblical churchy answer, but it's true because His timing is different. The way He does things is different. And until we get into that place where we're trusting in His faith and spirit, sometimes we don't see that and the peace doesn't fall upon us the way it should. Being poor sometimes can trap us into a place that that's for other people, that that wasn't meant for me. And there's religions in the world that believe that. I mean, there's places out there in the world that if you were born in poverty, that's as far as you get. And those are false places. That's not, that's not, it's not just an American thing. It's a false place in the Bible because nowhere will you find that in the Bible. And so we can't pick up those mindsets. We can't bring ourselves into them. And a belief in lack and letting those places of poverty get to a belief of lack takes us into places where a belief that Jesus isn't who he says he is. And he is who he says he is. We have this Bible to prove it, and we have testimonies to go along with it. And so we got to be careful when we walk in those places. Lack can cause us also to choose to make the natural unnatural. Before Luke 4 came along, Jesus was in the wilderness. He was walking, coming out of that 40-day fast, and he was fasting, not eating, not drinking for 40 days, and all of a sudden he encounters the devil. And Satan tries to tempt him, right? He gives him three different temptations. And one of those is, if you're hungry, why don't you just turn that stone down there into a piece of bread? Now, the last thing I want to do is challenge a man who's been fasting for 40 days, because what's 41? If I'd gone through it 40 days, 41 ain't nothing. But another thing is, is there's probably a bread bakery down the street that Jesus knows about. I mean, all he's got to do is walk into town and pick up some bread. But Satan says, hey, take your power, take your eminence, take your uh, identity and who God says you are, take all that and just take that rock and turn it into a piece of bread. Of course, Jesus answers, man shall not live by bread alone. We get into those desperate places, we get into those places of lack, there's a temptation to take the natural and make it unnatural. 
And that's another reason he wants us out of that oppression is because we can't force ourselves into that position. Abraham and Sarah had the same situation pop up with them. God had given him a prophetic word. God had set some truth down on him and said, Abraham, your descendants will be as many as the stars. Well, they started getting up in age. When's that kid going to come? When's that kid going to get here? And all of a sudden, Sarah gives up and says, hey, take my handmaiden. Abraham says, okay. And that set us into a course of history that has put the world on edge since then. And so there's a danger of when we come up against these problems, these places of lack in our life, that we take something and make it something that it's not supposed to be. And so be careful, and we're going to talk about more of that here in a little bit, but that's the reason he doesn't want us in this oppression. That's the reason he wants us to be free. It's because when we get into those situations, we have the freedom in our identity, in ourselves, in the Word of God, to put some truth on that situation. Over in Mark 9, verse 23, there's a dad. And probably much like today, it doesn't say this, but it might, that he's been to doc. His kid's sick. He's got a sick kid. And so just like us, he's probably been to a million doctors and tried a different million different medicines, spent a lot of money on it. And finally, he sees Jesus, and Jesus is healing people. So he goes up to Jesus, if you can heal my son. And Jesus looks at him in verse 20, uh, 23, Mark 9, 23, and says, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, some conviction hit that father's heart. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Because he was coming out of that lack. He was coming out of that desperation. He was seeking Jesus for his answers. And Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible. It's interesting in that word believe, it comes from the Greek, and I don't want to Greek out on you or anything, but that same word is pistunot. And it kind of looks like the word pistol. If you were to look at that, I, I did some correlations, and, and, and it's not the same, but it kind of looks like the word pistol. And so that word believe, that word faith, kind of looks like the word pistol. What happens if we start taking our belief and our faith and using like, like we're John Wayne or Wyatt Earp, picking up the truth in the Bible, pointing it at our problems, and letting the bullets fly? It may not go down the first time. It may not go down the second time. I may have to load another mag, but it's going to go down because I'm using the Word of God. And the word of God does not return to him void. That's a great bullet to use. The word of God does not return to him void. And so if we pick up our faith and we put it on point, we might get some results we've never seen before. Because once you pick it, I don't know how many people handle handguns, but it's kind of point and click. You point and you click, and that's the reason you're so dangerous. You've got to know where you're aiming at. And so if we're aiming at our problems and taking our belief and putting it down range, some good results are going to come. I don't have to live in that lack. I don't have to pick up those mindsets because they're, they're dangerous mindsets. The, the feeling of lack can cause us to feel like maybe God doesn't love us. And those feelings of love can take us into a dangerous place where it says, I'm an orphan. I'm all here, here all by myself. I don't know what's going on. I mean, that's true for those people. Those people are special. It looks like they're having a good time in there, but not me. I mean, we can pick up those mindsets along the way. Or what about rejection? Now, I know last week I said I don't need somebody's approval, but it's nice. It's nice when people like it. We can have a good time if we're all together and people like us. But if I start getting afraid of not being liked, I can pick up those places of rejection. That can also lead me away from God. And it's natural. I mean, don't be too hard on ourselves. It's natural because even Christ cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, it's just a fleshly reaction. The problem is when we pick it up and we wear it as a false robe. 
We can't let those places happen. So how, what do we do about it? How do, how, how do we fight back? There's a little bitty book way back in the Old Testament called Zephaniah. Zephaniah is called a minor prophet. He's called a minor prophet because he's got like three chapters. But he's got this great description of who God is in there that I don't think we have anywhere else. He says, the Lord your God rejoices over you. He's quiet in his love, but he's up there doing backflips. We have this image of God in this white robe and this old man standing up in heaven when Zephaniah says, he's busy doing backflips over you. He's rejoicing over you. He calls you his favorite. He calls you somebody that he loves so much that he's going to do a backflip. I can't even do one, but I sure love to. But God's up there doing it, right? That's what God's love is. It's not some stern black and white book that comes down on you. It's a book full of poetry about how much he loves us, how much he cares about us. And that's the ammunition you use in the faith, is that regardless of those feelings that come against us, I have this verse that says you're a liar. I have this verse that's calling you out. This verse says that my God rejoices over me. And that's a beautiful place to stand. Because when you're facing those rejections and you're facing those hard times, it gives you ammunition to throw back at the enemy. And Paul, and if you remember last week, Paul says to stand firm in that. And sometimes you have to stand firm because the world's crazy out there. I don't have to tell you that. There's things going on that I've never seen before. I mean, nowhere back in history did they tell us, hey, the COVID's going to come up and it's going to wreck everything. I mean, everything from you being sick to people passing away to the fact that you can't get a TV for like six months because they're on back order in some shipment place over in China. It's just a crazy time we're living in. And we're having to fight through those places. And when we pick up those false ideas that maybe it's because I'm not enough, or maybe it's because I'm not good enough, that's just the enemy. And we've got to fight back at some point with the true word of God. A long time ago in a land far away, I was at church, and they let the youth uh, share their favorite passages. We had Sunday morning services. We had Sunday night services, so there's plenty of chances to go along. They ask us to pick out a verse, and they give us two or three minutes to explain that verse. The verse I picked out was Matthew 6, 25, and you guys probably know this verse. It's the first verse I read ever in a live church, and I will read it here again today, but it answers some of these questions about poverty and lack. It says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on it. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? You've heard this verse. It talks about the lilies of the field. It talks about the grass growing, and it talks about the birds of the sky and how God takes care of them. He continues down in verse 32 and says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom, and keep on to that, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has trouble of its own. In that verse is a couple different clues we can use, is that worrying about tomorrow, because today's suffering takes us into a vision of this is going to last forever. I feel bad today, I'm going to feel bad forever. This situation happens today, it's going to happen forever. This is the way my life is going to be. And it's just a lie, straight from the pit of hell. And the ammunition against this is Jesus says, worry about today. Take care of today's business and let him worry about tomorrow. The other part of this that's really encouraging is to seek first his kingdom. Because in his presence, no lack exists. In his presence, no sickness exists. In his presence, only his perfect love exists. 
And we'll practice this here in a little bit. But as I get together with my God and I pray to him and I, I, I sing praises to him, and that's the reason worship is so important, that nothing else matters out here. All the cares that Sarah talked about, all those things we walk in out that are pulling on us, they all cease to exist because I'm in his presence. And so that's the number one bullet. If I can get into his presence, and sometimes it takes some work. If I can, and sometimes you have to do it like 10 times a day because life is so crazy. But anyway, I get into his presence and nothing else matters. But then the other part of this verse is his righteousness. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. His righteousness is his word of God coming true in your life. His righteousness is this verse coming into your situation, our situation. His verses, his promises coming true. Because just like I talked about depression where you're seeking help with the doctors and seeking Jesus... Your Christianity, your salvation, your belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior comes together with the Word of God, and He has to act because His Word will not turn to him void. It may not always turn out the way we want. We may not turn out the way we always like. But once again, His Word says all things happen for my good. And so if I'm trusting in Him, if I'm believing in Him, and I'm putting these verses to work, that's me and God getting together on that problem. That's me and God taking care of business downrange. And that's what this world so sorely needs is because, like I said, with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, somehow the living, breathing word coming alive in their life just turned into the black and white. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. And that's not the way the word of God works. The word of God is living. It has moved 2,000 years since Jesus to us today, still being an applicable way of living life, still being a great place where people find freedom and healing. It's still alive today. The hard times, the poverty, the rejection, the fear. And that's another thing, fear. Man, I don't want to catch the COVID. I really don't. And God bless you if you've had to live through that and you've lost loved ones. But that fear can't take up root in here. I mean, there's a million places in the Bible that says thou shalt not fear. I can take safeties. I can take precautions. But I can't live in that fear. I think part of the problem we're having in this world today is we live in such a safety-prone world, and I like the world to be safe. I don't want to cut my fingers on anything. But the fact of the matter is, it's just not a safe place. I mean, there's wars springing up everywhere, things going on out there, and so we get used to this safety. We get used to, you know, having a great place to go and feel safe and get in my safe zone, but the world's just not safe. It's going to be thorny and prickly because people are coming up and growing up and learning new things and learning how to be different people and learning how to take up new things and do things differently. It's a crazy world out there, but I can't let my fear interrupt the Word of God because all those places strip the Word of God right out of me. All those places strip his love straight down to the bottom. I remember being out in California, and it's a beautiful place. Uh, and, and it's just a beautiful place to visit. It was out there at a national park. And I thought to myself, I got a couple bottles of water. This is a beautiful park. I mean, I've never seen a waterfall before. And there was this waterfall. I'm like, man, I'm going to hike down to that waterfall. And there's a giant cliff, the beautiful thing. I think Josh Brown and I had this discussion. The beautiful thing about California is it's got beaches and mountains. I mean, it's just beautiful. And so I'm think, sitting there thinking, and it doesn't have this extreme heat that you get out the Powderville Canyon. But you get out there, and it's like, that's beautiful. I'm going to climb down there to it. I start looking around. I don't see any way down. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And so I want to get down there, but it's wise not to just climb down there because I might get hurt. I mean, that's wisdom. That's discretion. 
being safe in that way. But when I ever say, you know, I don't have what it takes, that's a lie. When it says I can't get down there because I don't know how, that's a lie. I can just start walking. When it says I don't know how to do this, that's a lie. I just start walking. When it says I don't have enough, that's a lie. I just start walking. Because that's the truth of God is he has empowered us to come into this world and make it a better place. He's empowered us to get up and to take dominion over unrighteousness. A lot of times oppression is unrighteous authority coming into a situation. It needs righteous authority to step into it. So once you understand that you're a child of God, that gives you an identity. Once you understand what that means, then you can start practicing it, using these words. And then you learn even more about how much God thinks about you and cares about you. And so that starts to develop purpose inside of you. It starts to develop resolve in you. Because if I know how to use a shovel, I can dig a ditch. But i got to start somewhere, right? I mean, it's pretty simple. He says to walk by faith, not by sight. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, those who believe in him will not be disappointed. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And here's the great part. Endurance produces character. I hope that I have all the character I ever need in my life, but I'm probably up for some more. But these hard places we walk through, And I'm sorry you have to walk through them. I'm sorry there's places that you have to go that you never planned on going. I'm sorry there's places that we have to go up against that we were never meant to go against and have no idea how to go up against them. I'm sorry. There's people I've lost along the way that I miss immensely. I wish they would have never left this planet. There's things I've had to walk through. I'm like, no one prepared me for this. How am I going to get out of this? And somewhere along there, it hurts. But the nice thing about it is there's hope. This hope that the Word of God says is that it builds character. And you know what character produces? Hope. It produces hope. It produces more faith. So as I keep a realistic picture of what I'm walking through, the Word of God comes into play. It says as I walk into this situation, I'm going to walk out of it a lot better than I walked into it. It says regardless of the things I come against, I just might be okay at the end. It might be a challenge. It might break me. I mean, there's things out there in this world that have crushed me, but I'm going to walk out of it in the end. Sick kids, hard times financially. I'm going to keep walking because we go from glory to glory. That's what the Bible says. And that's the ammunition we put down range. That's the hope we carry within us. That's the hope we encourage others with. We get up out of those places and we move into a place where God's word and my belief in that word matters. This is what I believe, and even though it doesn't make sense, this is the ground I'm going to stand firm in. A lot of people have had troubles in their marriages in the last few years. My love for my wife and what I want to see in that marriage happen and how I want to see my kids and grandkids, those are all things that I focus on to get through those places. We got challenged a couple years ago, and they said, well, you know, I don't go to church all the time. My life is... You know, it looks just about the same as yours. What makes your life different? I know that when my wife and I had trouble, two of us are going to pray. I have that hope that as she encounters things that I cause in her and I encounter things that she causes in me, and she never causes anything in my life. She's a beautiful woman, full of grace, chocolate chip cookie. But we're both going to Jesus. She might be praying, dear Lord, save him. I'm probably playing the same thing, dear Lord, save me. But those things, at least I have that faith that she and I are praying together. 
And I think that's a faith other people don't have, and I'm grateful to have it because I also know what the Word of God says. His Word says those who hope in Him are not disappointed. So I just want to encourage you to let your faith be like a pistol. And that's how we enter oppression. Because once he set us free, he's taken us out of that captivity. He's moved us into a place where we can believe again. He's lived us, moved us into a place where we can fight again. A place where we can stand firm. What do you do with it then? You start moving. And you start picking up those verses and you start using them like they matter. And because sometimes that's all I got. I mean, sometimes that's, that's all I got. You can put faith in me all you want to, but all I'm doing is putting my faith in Jesus that he's going to bring us out of this situation together. And Jesus knows all about this. I think a lot of times we forget he was human. I mean, we know that. But I think a lot of times we forget that he was actually flesh and blood moving on the earth and we don't take into consideration that he walked through all these places just like we have. His whole life, he grew up in that synagogue that he talked to. I mean, they had to have, right? You don't walk into a church and somebody just give you a Bible and say, here, walk up on stage. They had to know who he was back in Luke 4. They had to know that he belonged there. And so they trusted him to come inside and read something. So he got up, he read something. You know what they tried to do? They tried to throw him off a cliff. He upset them so bad. These people he grew up with, these people that had known him his whole life, I mean, he was like 33 years old, right, when he began ministry. So that's zero to 33. These people were part of his life. They tried to throw him off a cliff. Not only that, but they called mom. They said, Mary, come get your boy. He's talking crazy. They said, yeah, he's talking crazy. Jesus, come on with us. Jesus said, no, I got work to do. So there's his family. There's his friends, his whole past, all of a sudden calling him crazy, trying to take his life. He walks around for three years healing people, teaching a good word. He walks into Jerusalem. They're laying palm leaves under his feet. Hosanna, Hosanna, we're so glad you're here. The Messiah has come. A couple days later, they got enough, up enough gumption to put him on trial. So they arrested him in a garden. Now here's the nice thing about Luke, is if you read further on in Luke, Jesus was actually down on his knees praying so hard that he bled. I prayed hard, but I've never prayed that hard. I mean, he was so asking God to not let this happen that he actually had blood coming out. And so it's okay to argue with God. Abraham did it. Jesus asked it not to let it happen. That's part of the humanity of him. Here's another thing. They came and they arrested him. Disciples, they all took off. Where'd they go? They took him into the synagogue. They started slapping on him, calling him a heretic, beating on him, cursing him. Same people that he came to this world to save. They said, well, we can't kill him, so we'll just take him in front of Herod. And that dude was a louse. And he slept with his own sister. I mean, this dude was no good, and he was their king. They said, Herod, do something with him. Herod says, hey, Jesus, do some tricks. Are you kidding me right now? I've been slapped. They're trying to kill me, and you want me to do tricks? Herod says, I can't do anything with this guy. Take him to the Romans. Took him to the Romans. Romans said, I don't know what you want to do with him, but you know, keep your rebellion down. So now he becomes a political toy. Uh, we'll just kill, we'll, you know, we'll give you a choice. Either this guy or this guy. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Jesus standing out in front of the masses. This is who he died for. There had to be somebody in that crowd that took a piece of free bread from him back when he turned one loaf into 5,000. 
Had to be one person out there. Had to be one person in that crowd that he healed. Had to be one person in that crowd that received good news. They all cried out, crucify him. They took him out back, beat him up, whipped him, and still put him on a cross for the whole world to see. All the way up that road, they were cursing him, yelling at him, spitting on him. He's bleeding. I mean, what else can you do to me? I'm human, dragging this cross. And you may say, well, that was Jesus. He's just, still just a man, still just a human being at that point. He gets up there on the cross. They're still mocking at him, and he says, forgive them, for they know what they do. The reason I believe Jesus could take that posture is he accepted the fact that it was written in the Word that that's what would have to happen. He resigned himself to the fact that this is what the Bible was going to have to happen. He picked up his pistol of faith and accepted the fact that this is what had to happen. And that's the reason he had the faith to do that on the cross. That's the reason he had the peace to do that on the cross is because he knew that the Word of God was coming alive in his life in that moment. And that's a word for us. Because despite the challenges and the things we come up against in this life, the Word of God still exists even for Jesus. I like to call the prayer team up and the worship team. Take you through a little practice in what this means back in Matthew 25. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. So if you'll bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you today and we just thank you and we just praise you. We thank you for your justice. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you're available to us because it says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Your word says we're two or more gathered in my name. There I am. And so thank you for being present in this situation. Thank you for being here with us. Lord, there's things that have come against us. There's things that have challenged us. There's things that have broken us. There's things that have taken us to places we don't want to be. There's things inside our body going on we don't understand. We've had to face these illnesses, these sicknesses, or maybe, or maybe life is real good. I want this to continue. Maybe I'm finally in a place where I want to be the rest of my life. And I thank you for that. I so desperately thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that your hand is always with us. I thank you that you are the good shepherd. I thank you that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. I thank you for the fact that when I lay down in green pastures, you're going to feed me. I thank you for being that good shepherd in my life. I ask now that you take any place in me that does not meet up to your word and you kick it out and replace it with your love. Any places I've believed improperly or wrongly or any places that have broken me to a point to why I don't, I don't understand your love for me, Lord, I pray that you would fill me now with that place. I know that you didn't create me as a failure. I know that you didn't create me as weak. I know you didn't create me as something that's not right. Because your Bible says that you sent Jesus to die for me. And so I must be good. I must be purposefully and wonderfully made. And I ask anything that's in within me, either my mind, my spirit, my bones, to answer now to that. For every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you're Lord. And so I give these things to you. I lay them on your altar. And I pray that I be healed in Jesus' name. I pray that the word of your testimony comes alive. And that all those verses I've learned from childhood till today constantly come up in my mind when I need them. That as I face those enemies of your kingdom, because that's what they are, 
I belong in your kingdom, so those are enemies against you, all these things that come against me, that your kingdom come to bear against them. Take them now in Jesus' name. Jesus knows you're not Jesus. God knows you're not Jesus. He says you're beautifully and wonderfully made. He says, all that call upon my name will be saved. And that's the truth. The God-given truth of the word coming alive in your life today. If you need further prayer, we'll be on the sides. Thank you all for being here today. And that's this week's message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you would like to join our online campus and experience the service as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing and blessed week.